0: Well, today uh, we are in part three of a five-part series that we've been in called Prepared. And um, if you have missed any of the, the previous two, um, two installments of this series, you can go online at brookside.net and you can catch up on the last uh, two sermons that Pastor Steve delivered to us. would encourage you to do that. Don't miss a Sunday in this important series. Uh, As you all know, I I know I have experienced this, there's um, nothing quite like when you go into a situation that you don't feel prepared for. Anybody ever had that feeling? Sometimes I have a nightmare that I'm standing in front of all of you and I have nothing to say. It's a horrible nightmare. But it's bad, isn't it, when you go into a situation, maybe it's a job interview, um, maybe it's a a sales pitch, maybe it's a big game for you and you're not prepared. Uh, You go into a delicate conversation and you find yourself fumbling your way through it Because you weren't prepared. You didn't think it through before you got into it. And in those moments, there's one thing that you wish that you could get, and that's a do-over. You wish that you could just stand back and you could go, you know what, I'd like to try that again. I wish I could just have another chance to do it. And this series called Prepared, what we're doing is we're answering five questions, five key questions about Christianity, the most commonly asked questions about the Christian faith, because we know this. We know that you want to be prepared, and we know we want you to be prepared when people ask you these questions or when you have these questions yourself on your own journey. Maybe you had a coach or a teacher along the way that constantly said to you, preparation is the key to success. And they drove that into you over and over and again. What were they doing? They were saying, if you're, if you're prepared, you're confident. And when, you, when you're confident, you can go in and, and you can experience success. These five questions, maybe they're ones that you have asked personally. Maybe as you came to faith in Christ, these were some questions that you had along the way. As a parent, these are the kinds of questions that you want to be able to answer for your children. Maybe you're here today and you would say this. You would say, I'm seeking out spiritual truth. Um, you would say, I, I want to get to a place where I can make an intelligent, informed decision about putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I applaud you for that. I applaud you for giving that kind of time and, and carefulness to a decision that will change your life. I applaud you for that. The theme verse that's been launching us into this series is this. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. It, it says this. Here it comes. There it is. All right. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And what Peter was doing in this, the apostle Peter, one, a person that was very close to Jesus, what he was saying was always be ready. Always be prepared to give an answer for the, here's the key word, for the hope. For the hope that you have. If Jesus Christ has changed your life, Peter's saying, be prepared not to answer every single question that, the, that a person might have about the Bible. That probably you probably won't get there. But he's saying on the big things, be prepared to be able to give an answer for the hope that you have. So in the first week of this series, we answered this question. Let me just do a little bit of review for you. We answered the question, how can we know that there is a God? And then week two, we said this Is Jesus the only way to God? And then next week, Pastor Steve's gonna lead us in this one How could a loving God allow suffering? Three important questions. This week, we're coming to a crucial question as well. It's this, here it is Can I have confidence in the Bible? Can I have confidence in the Bible? This question is so important. And what really grabbed my heart this week is this The reason why this question is so important, can I have confidence in the Bible? Is because Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of Christianity, the story of Jesus Christ, the story of of who we are and how God redeemed us, the story of Jesus Christ is within this book. It's huge. And so for us to be able to walk away this morning with great confidence is so crucially important. You can ask the question, can I have confidence that the things that were recorded about Jesus Christ are true? Can I have real confidence in that? Because here's the thing, this holy book, this this authority is the the authority for the world's largest religion. It defines who we are. It defines our picture of who Jesus Christ is. It defines our our picture of of God, and, and in so doing that, what does it do? It leads us to a place where we worship him. What happens inside of these two covers, it's incredible. It's crucial that we understand it, that we have confidence in it. This is why it's been so important to me as I've prepared this week. The thing that's really been on my mind is this. In my early 20s, I began, God really got a hold of my heart in my early 20s, and I began to diligently study this book, and I began to base my life around it, and I've seen how God has shaped my life through this. I've seen what it's meant to me. I know what it means to me long term, and so if I can help other people have confidence in the hope that we find inside this book and its content. That's what I want to do. Um, I think of our three children. If there's one book that I hope that they'll hang their hat on, if there's one book that I hope that they'll, they'll really direct, their, their orient their lives around, it's a no-brainer for us that they would orient their lives around the message of, of Jesus Christ, around the scriptures. That said, there are very different views about the Bible, aren't there? Different people react in, in very different ways to the Bible. Some people would say this. Christians would say, it's followers of Christ would say, it's the inspired word of God, it's from God. Other people would say, no, it's not inspired. As a matter of fact, it's not even reliable. Historically, they would say, no, no way, can't be. Others would say that it, it lacks credibility. Some would say that it's outdated. Maybe there was a day and time when the, the scriptures were very important and they were very applicable, what they would say today, It's outdated. Others would say it's interesting that there was this group maybe around a campfire for one really late night, and they got together, and they hashed this whole thing out, and they did a pretty good job. Others would say it's a good moral book. It's interesting. Yet, yet with all the different opinions, it can't be argued that the scriptures, that the Bible is a very popular book. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Of last year, it will be of this year of all time. And it's not just by a little bit, it's by double and more over and over again. The average American household has four copies in it. It's a book that is very, obviously very, very popular. And since it has such widespread influence, it's crucial for you and I to go to it this morning and to be able to say, to be able to leave here and say, can I have confidence that the Bible is accurate? Can I have confidence that Even going so far, even going really to the heart of the matter, could I even go so far to say that I would put my trust in the God of the Bible? Because here's the thing, this book, it all goes back to Jesus Christ. It all goes back to him. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at four different reasons, four different reasons that we can have confidence in the Bible. We're going to look at each one of these. Here they are. Here's the four. Four reasons. Number one, we're going to talk about the reliability of the Bible. We're going to talk about how the, the Bible is a unified message. Then we're going to talk about how it's unique, and then lastly, we're going to talk about how the the Bible is relevant. First of all, let's answer this question of of reliability. Is the Bible reliable? Can we have confidence in it, in its reliability? I want to spend the most time on this one. This is really, really important. It's answering the question of this. Can I trust what the Bible says? When the Bible tells me to do something, can can I trust that? Is it accurate? Can I have confidence that the Bible is accurate? Does it hold up? Well, this is really important because when the Bible was, uh, when the Bible was being copied, there weren't uh, Xerox machines around at the time. There were no scanners. There were no iPhones to take a picture. There was no Evernote app. There was none of that. And so it's a very good question to ask. Is it accurate? The copy, the copy that I have, is it accurate? There was a process that was called textual criticism where Scholars, what they would do is they would take old manuscripts and they would compare those old manuscripts with others, and by doing so they could come up with with remarkable certainty that the text that you and I have is accurate to the original. That's the process that they went through. It would look like this. If let's say we lined up on, on the stage here, all of these ancient manuscripts. And through textual criticism, what we would do is they would they would compare them to each other. They would compare them to each other, asking the question, how do they compare? It, are they all saying the same things? You might remember in elementary school, maybe you played this game, I know we did in our class, where the game, maybe you, it was referred to you as telephone, where the teacher, maybe she would sit you in a circle, or he would sit you in a circle, and, and they would say one thing to the first person, and then they would expect that that message then would be uh, told to the next person all the way around the circle. You remember this? And so I remember the teacher would, would do that. And so the first person would, would get the sentence to, the, to a story. It's a real descriptive sentence. And so that kid then would say it to the next person around and around again. And then you get to the last person. And that, that, that student would have to write out the sentence on a piece of paper. And then the teacher would stand up. And the teacher would say, this is what I told Johnny here first. And she would say the sentence, and then they would read. She would read the, the, the last kid, whatever that kid wrote, and, and the class would just erupt with laughter because it would be so far off, wouldn't it? This wasn't the case with the Bible. It wasn't a process like telephone, the telephone game. There were three things that increase our confidence that today what we have in the Scriptures is incredibly accurate. This is a little bit academic, but hang with me. This is so important in understanding that you can have confidence in the Scriptures. The first one was this. How close in date to the original are the copies that we have? How close were they, the copies that we have, to the originals? Number two, how many copies do we have? Was it just one person's opinion that lined up with the originals? Or do we have a multitude of copies? If one person says one thing, that's okay. But what if tons and tons of, what if lots and lots and lots of people say the same thing? It gives us more confidence. And then lastly, what kind of care went into the transmission of the scriptures, of it being copied into that process. So first, let's consider the Old Testament. Here it is. It's a matter of fact that the scribes who copied the Old Testament did their work with extraordinary care. They had very strict rules that they followed when they were copying the scriptures. Let me give you just one example. They would know in every Old Testament book what the middle word was of that book. And so when they were done transcribing a book of the Bible, they would go back and they would count all the way to the middle. And if that wasn't the right number, if it wasn't the right word that they hit, when they got to that middle number, ooh, sorry for your two months worth of work, to the flames. They tossed it. And why did they do that? Because they wanted to make sure that things were accurate. They wanted to preserve it. And then the end result was that these diligent scribes came up with manuscripts that agreed, no matter who copied them or where, They were found. Now, this all came to light in the winter of 1947. At that time, a Bedouin shepherd was out tending his flock. And the story is that one of his sheep got astray up on one of the bluffs towards the edge. And instead of just letting the sheep go, he took a rock, sorry for the sheep, and he chucked it up toward the cave, right? Chucked it up toward the cave. He missed the sheep. Good for the sheep. Good for us today, actually. The rock goes into the cave and he hears this, right? It's the noise of these pots that were being broken by his, the stone that he throws. And so he goes up there, and what does he find? He finds inside these clay pots, they're broken, but inside these pots now are these ancient manuscripts. This What was discovered that day became known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's a collection of virtually, get this, every book of the Old Testament and scholars believe that these scrolls were placed in this cave in A.D. 69 as the Romans were beginning to march on Jerusalem. It's a big deal. So since A.D. 69, it's believed that these scrolls were in a cave until 1947. I got a chance to see these scrolls on display in Israel several years ago. It's remarkable. It's fascinating. You read these and you go, that's in my Bible. It's amazing their accuracy. As scholars opened these scrolls and they did some comparison between the Old Testament that you and I have and the copies that the scribes wrote. Now you would think as they began to compare these that you know, after a thousand years that there would be some differences, but the correlations are amazing. Let me give you one example. This is from the book of Isaiah. Okay? 166 words in Isaiah chapter 53 out of 166 words, hang with me, only 17 letters were in in question. Ten of the letters were simply a matter of spelling. Four of the letters were simply a a matter of stylistic changes, conjunctions like and and the. And the remaining three letters were a part of a word that was added to verse 11, a word that didn't change the meaning at all. So in one chapter, With 166 words, there was only one word in question after a thousand years. That is incredible accuracy. That's just one example why we can have confidence in the scriptures. Let me just read this quote to you. One scholar put it like this. He said, The copies found in those caves proved to be word-for-word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. The 5% variation consisted chiefly of obvious slips of the pen and variations in spelling. Okay, that's the Old Testament manuscript evidence. The evidence now for the New Testament is overwhelming there are, get this, over 5,600 manuscripts to compare and to draw information from to determine whether what has been passed down to us is actually accurate. Some of these date, and this is important, as early as the second or the third centuries, some even within 70 years of the original. To put this in perspective, there isn't one singular historical work that compares neither in the number of copies nor in the closeness to the, uh, the copies we have to the original. Let me give you some examples of this. You've maybe heard of some of these writings. You've heard of the, the writings of Plato. Uh, maybe this was a, a class for you in college or high school. The writings of Caesar, of Homer. Okay, so here's the important thing to notice on this chart. The second column, the earliest copy, so of Plato, AD 900. The time between the original copy The original and the copy, 1,200 years. And then how many, again, this is important, how many copies do we have? We have seven copies. So seven, that gives us some confidence in that, doesn't it? Have you ever questioned the works of Plato? Most people haven't. Caesar, we go down. Okay, the earliest copy we have, A.D. 900. Uh, The time between the original and the copy, 1,000 years. How many copies? 10. Homer, 500 years, the time between the original and the copy. We have a lot, though. We have 643. The New Testament, get this. The time between the original and the copies that we have, 70 years, and then how many copies? How much confidence can we have? Over 5,600 copies. That's remarkable. It's no wonder that it's said without question that the Bible is the most documented piece of ancient literature there is. There is no equal, not even close. It is the single most documented piece of ancient literature. Have confidence. Reason number two, reason number two we can have confidence in the scriptures is because the message, here it is, the message is unified. The Bible is made up of 66 books. It's a collection of books, but there's one unifying message that goes throughout it. There's one theme that we see going throughout the scriptures. Imagine for a moment that you had a friend and and your friend, uh, over the course of the relationship, you noticed that the things that they said weren't always accurate. What would you do with the things that they said over time? You would begin to question them. You would lack confidence in the things that they said if they weren't continually saying things that matched up. This is remarkable. Consider the fact that the Bible, here it is, the Bible is made of 66 books. That's diverse. Over the course, it's written over the course of 1,500 years. 40 authors comprised it. They had, these authors had different personalities, different circumstances. Some were in times of war, some were in times of peace. Three languages, three continents. What was the Bible? It was written, oh, uh, it covers hundreds of subjects. You talk about diversity. I can't think of a more diverse book. Yet, and this is important, it fits together into one cohesive story with an appropriate beginning, a logical ending, a central character, Jesus Christ, and a consistent theme. Let me give you some specific examples of the unity that you find in the scriptures. It doesn't contradict itself. Uh, this might be new to you. Uh, before Jesus Christ ever came, hundreds of years before Jesus would come to earth, there were prophets that were talking about him. There were prophets that were projecting forward about his coming, about, about the Messiah that would come, but they weren't just doing it generally. They were giving very specific details about the events of his life, And then Jesus comes on the scene hundreds and hundreds of years later. And what we see is that Jesus lived these things out. He began to fulfill these prophecies. If you took just the fulfilled prophecies alone about Jesus Christ, it would give you incredible confidence in the Scriptures. It would give you incredible confidence that the Bible is the real deal. Here's an example of this. This this is so cool. First, the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is written 700 years before Jesus, okay? Get your mind around that. 700 years before Jesus. Yet it projects forward in in detail. It paints a picture of how Jesus would suffer for those that he loved. It paints a picture of how Jesus wouldn't defend himself going through crucifixion. It paints a picture of how Jesus wouldn't argue with those who were accusing him and down the line. Let me read a few verses to you. This is from Isaiah 53. It says this. He was despised and rejected, see that's New Testament language, by by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Verse 4, surely he took up our pain and he bore our sufferings. He bore our sufferings. You can find that where? You look in John chapter 19, you'll you'll see that. Yet he was considered, uh, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was, here it is, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. When Jesus was was crucified, we see this in detail. John chapter 19. What was he? He was pierced with the sword. Uh, He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You go throughout this Isaiah chapter 53, and it just keeps going more and more and more. It says this then, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was assigned, here it is, a grave with the wicked. You find in the New Testament, Jesus was put on the cross next to two criminals. And with the rich in his death, through uh, yeah, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So he gets a grave amongst the rich. Okay, oh, oh, that seems like a, a pretty solid detail. How did that compare with the New Testament? Luke chapter, or Matthew chapter 27, we find Jesus was buried in the tomb of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, we find in Luke chapter 23, Jesus wasn't alone on the cross. There were two criminals right there with him. Do, do you see the unity that we have of the, the scriptures? It gives us confidence that not only, not only in the Bible, but it gives us confidence in who Jesus claimed that he was. Again, it all comes back to Jesus. That was 700 years before it happened. Let me give you another example. This one here was written 1,000 years before Jesus. Here it is. This again, uh, the book of, this is the, the book of Psalms. 1,000 years. So the psalmist writes this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Okay, now we'll go to the New Testament, 1,000 years later. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land, and about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi Elioi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? Go back to Psalm 22, a thousand years back. All my bones are on display, people, people stare and they gloat over me, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Now we go to the New Testament, fast forward again. It says, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. That was a thousand years later. The idea that Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before Jesus' crucifixion is remarkable. It was written, get this, it was even written hundreds of years before the Romans had come up with the idea of crucifixion. It's amazing. Can you have confidence in the scriptures? Most definitely. Another example of this, this is remarkable, this is from uh, uh, the book of Malachi chapter 5. The prophet Malachi, he's projecting forward about the Messiah, about where the Messiah would be born. And so we see this in Micah chapter 5, he says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times." Okay, now you go to the, to the New Testament, you look at Matthew chapter 2, you look at Luke chapter 2, you look at John chapter 7, and what do you find? Where did it happen? Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. What a detail. We go right to the New Testament, thousands later. The list of detailed prophecies goes on and on. It's remarkable. By the time it is all said and done, get this, Jesus fulfilled 353 prophecies from the Old Testament. It's amazing. It brings joy to me. When I go to this book, I go, okay, wow, it's legit. The unity of the Bible from cover to cover is amazing. It gives us great, great confidence. Sally Lloyd-Jones, she put it like this. She said this very colorfully. Let me just read this to you. She said that the Bible isn't a book of rules or uh, or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story of a young hero who comes from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is that it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all of the stories are telling one big story. It's Unified. The story of how Jesus loves his children and he comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece of the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together and suddenly you can see the beautiful picture, the unity of the Bible. It's whispering the name of Jesus. Let's keep going. Reason number three, that you can have incredible confidence in the scriptures. It's this. The clarity, the preciseness of the process of how, uh, for hundreds of years, these copies have been uh, preserved and how the events, how they line up, the prophecies are fulfilled, they lead us to this third reason. And we'll move quickly through these last two. Here it is. The last reason is this the Bible is unique. The Bible isn't like other books. The Bible is not just another book in the collection, it's not just a collection of man's thoughts. The Bible isn't just a, a collection of, of, of feelings. Oftentimes you'll hear us when we teach, we'll say, hey, we're going to, this morning, I'm excited to open up God's word to you. The reason why we say God's word is because we believe that it is, that, that it's not just another book, but yet it's, it's actually God's word, that when we do that, what we're doing is we're making a statement, not just about what it is, but about who it's from, We're making a statement that the the Bible actually came from God, that God initiated the process of us having this book, that he inspired it. And so we refer to it, we say it's God's word. Not meaning this, not that when it was all finished and these 40 authors came together over 1,500 years, that God put the God stamp on it, not that, we're saying no, all along that this work has been inspired by God, meaning that God initiated the process and he carried it through all the way to its completion. And now we would say this, we have the written word of God. We can have that, it's amazing. Think about that, God communicating to us. It's beautiful. The apostle Peter put it like this in 2 Peter chapter one. He said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke uh, from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Notice this, they spoke from God. Even scripture itself is saying, no, 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 this isn't, whoa, well, no, this isn't us, no, this, is, this is God. Uh, Timothy put it like this in 2 Timothy chapter three. He said, all scripture is, is God-breathed, it's coming right, right from God, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 3,808 times in the Old Testament alone, the authors, they claim that they're writing, not their words, but over 3,800 times, the authors of the Old Testament claim we're writing the very words of God. About a month ago, um, I got this letter from my son. And um, uh, it's one of these letters that uh, you uh, you just kind of hope to get sometimes. I was pretty surprised by it. It's kind of like an appreciation to dad letter. And, um, and so I read it, and uh, I, I wondered what was happening to him while he wrote it, but I was really glad he did, you know, that kind of thing. And, and um, I, when I got done, I kind of choked up as I was reading this letter. And, and, uh, but when I got done, I sat down with him, and I just said, Aiden, I said, he's nine. I said, thank you. I said, wow. I said, Aiden, words are so powerful. I said, thank you. I said, Aiden, I will hang on to this letter for the rest of my life. Now here's the deal, what makes this powerful, the content definitely makes it powerful, it means a lot to me, but what makes this letter so uh, emotional for me, so significant for me, it's not so much even just the content, but it's who wrote it. Think about this for a second, the scriptures, they are a book, it's, it's not just that the content is great, but it's who wrote it, it's God writing to you, it's who wrote it, it um, God's word is unique. It's not just another book. These are the very words of God. Lastly, um, the last thing I want us to look at here as we think about having confidence in God's word, number four, here it is. The Bible is relevant. You're gonna see this throughout the scriptures over and over. Um, we could do an entire morning on really every one of these, these, one, these different four things. But there's no other book that so truthfully, that so completely talks about who we are, but it also talks about the very real things that we deal with in life. The scriptures, they're relevant. The scriptures are incredibly applicable to your lives. Um, I'm in a small group of of young guys, with young guys right now, and and, um, I'm not the young guy in there anymore, but they're young. uh, But we're going through the, the book of John together, and we're asking one question. What does it mean to be a man of God according to the teachings of Jesus Christ? So we're asking that question. We're okay. Is, is it, it's a sort of a test case. Is, is God's word is it relevant? Is it worth our time of, of reading and journaling? I will tell you what. These guys come together and we talk about what we read. It's incredibly relevant. The, the takeaways are amazing. They're life changing. Why? It's relevant. I was talking to a gal this week. She approached me and she said, "You know what? I'm going through this with my family and." kind of unpacked just some very real things some hard struggles that her and her family are dealing with and then she said this in the midst of kind of our conversation she said but then I remembered this morning as she's talking about the pain and all this other stuff that's going on she said but then I remembered this morning what I read and she said and I remembered just the reminder that I got this morning of the peace of God that I can get through his word it's relevant The Bible deals with topics from marriage to leadership to conflict to parenting to finances to purpose to how we treat the marginalized in our world. There's no other world religion that's championing that cause like Christianity. And I'll tell you what the message comes straight from here, from the scriptures, from the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's unarguably relevant. Remember what the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter said. He said, Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have. For the reason for the hope that we have. Think about this book. We live in a world that needs hope. We are a people that we need hope. This book, the scriptures, it's God's word to us. And it's a message of hope. It's a message of, okay, we can know the God of the universe. We can find great hope and great confidence in that. We can be confident in it based on what is external evidence of the Bible. And internally, it's, it's a unified message. It's also a very relevant message and it's unique. No other book we could say is written from God to you. And so, when I think about just how do you apply this, how do you think through this message, there are two things that come to mind. First of all, I would say this if if you've never read the scriptures, um, I would challenge you this morning. Maybe you're on a spiritual journey and you're kind of just checking things out. I would challenge you this morning to pick up a Bible. We actually have um, these New Testaments available for you out at Guest Central. If If you don't own a Bible, you can just grab one of these. And my challenge for you this morning is this, would you approach the New Testament, would you read through the New Testament book of Mark, it's the shortest of the Gospels, would you read through it and would you ask yourself the question as you read through it, what do I do with Jesus? Because the scriptures are all this one story, all whispering the name of Jesus Christ and what that means for us. So would you read through that New Testament book of Mark and would you go, okay, who is Jesus? And then what what does that mean for me? And then I think the greatest application for us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, is this. When you go to the scriptures, be reminded, go, go with a renewed sense of confidence. Don't just, don't just plan on meeting with God and you hope you get to it, but like, make it happen. Pick a place, pick a time, but then go there hungry. I mean, remember, this, these are the words of God, the creator of the universe. I was looking at just a sunset the other night, and I was thinking, the, the creator of the universe chose to communicate to us. That's remarkable. That's amazing. And so I would encourage you this week to pick up the Bible, but don't pick it up like a study guide. Pick it up like, okay, I'm going to meet with my Heavenly Father because he spoke to me. And so do that with a renewed sense of passion. Let's do this. Let's, um, let's just close by, by praying together and asking God for, for his help. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for the scriptures. Lord, we teach out of the scriptures week in and week out. And Lord, so I thank you that today as we remember the significance of them, that they're reliable, that they're unified, that they're accurate, and that they're relevant. God, I thank you that it's not hard to build a case for your word. It's not hard at all. And so, Lord, we walk with confidence. And Lord, I pray this morning, I pray for those that are here this morning, and maybe they would say, okay, what is the hope that is laid out in the scriptures that I don't have? And so, God, I thank you that this is a place where we can find hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, and Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen.